This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. Welcome to Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj. On the show today, we're welcoming back after a hiatus, organisational psychologist and CEO of Osyke, Hital Doshi. And we are going to be discussing transforming your organisational culture. Welcome back, Hital. Thanks so much, Audrey. It's been a while. Always good to be back. Yes. Oh, really happy to have you back again on the show. Now, um, you were really quick to jump on this topic when we discuss bringing you back on the show after your your break, right? Uh, and the topic, of course, is transforming your organizational culture. What did you want to talk about this now? You know, have you noticed uh, a need in corporate Malaysia for a rejuvenation or some work to be done when it comes to organizational culture? You know, what's your read on what's yeah. happening out there? I think uh, post-pandemic, uh, there have been a lot of conversations about how work has to be redefined, yet uh, potentially our cultures may not have been redefined and realigned to support this new way of working to achieve very new goals that organizations are moving on board with as well. So we're getting definitely an uptick in trend where it used to be a lot about well-being, where it used to be about digitalization, but now there's like a realignment like, all right, this is where we want to go. But how are we realigning, how are we measuring our culture to be able to get us over there? So there has been a definite reset and a refresh uh, of organizational culture, how best we can measure it and how we can move forward, uh, which has probably been there all the time uh, in the existence of a organization. But now it's like really time to hit a refresh based on new ways of working towards achieving new goals in the organization. Okay, so you're running an organization or you're part of the team, uh, you're, you're managing a team. How, how do you know that it's time for a transformation? You know, Are there telltale signs that things need to be uh, re-looked at mm-hmm. again? Yeah, I think just before we step into that, like organizational culture, right? Like we just define that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, when, whenever we looked at you know, organizations that apparently have very successful culture, it feels like magic. It's like, whoa, this is so amazing. But the truth is that it's not easy to experience that magic. It's a set of living relationships like an organism. I I just realized that our body actually has 78 organs uh, that help us to function as a human being and over 30 trillion cells. Um, And just just like that, an organization has multiple, uh, if not compounding living relationships working towards a shared goal. And the fact that we are alive today is really, and the fact that we can get our jobs done is really a, a, a miracle, but it's not something that is, is given. Uh, so I, I think first and foremost, just really deeply appreciating the amount of living relationships that are required to work together to produce outcomes is quite incredible and miraculous. When it works well, it feels like magic. When it doesn't work well, it's obviously a very horrific, or what we call a toxic environment, mm. uh, full of triggers and stuff like that. Culture is the sum total of how the entire organism of an organization decides to think, interact, and behave. Uh, A telltale sign, a very simple telltale sign, there's only one thing, I think people can talk about it many different ways, is that we're not achieving what it is that we intend to achieve. Similar to our body, when we feel we're not getting things done, we're not feeling good about the fact that we're not able to get things done, that is in itself a way for us to begin to think about uh, culture. Here's our goals. This is where we want to be at. But we're not able to do that for some reason or the other. And we're constantly talking about why we're not able to get there. We have all the rationale towards it. But 
it, very simply put, we're not able to get there. Um, another typical sign could be contradictions. We say we want to get there, but at the same time, we decide that it's, uh, yeah, that we cannot operate in that way. And so we contradict ourselves. So one thing would be lack of clarity or lack of performance. The second thing will be contradictions. So very simply put, um, most organizations that I'm working with currently are saying, hey, Tal, I think ownership needs to be higher. But when we do assessments, actually, the issue is not ownership. People are extreme, take extremely high levels of ownership, and that's the problem. They're, they're so strung out about, like, I need to be perfect. I need to get my job done. And in fact, I don't think there's a single person out there in the world who decides, today I'm going to go to work and be my absolute worst performing self. Um, I think a lot of people try their level best and want to, but there seems to be contradictions between what they want, what the organization wants, and all the different ways of being rewarded, recognized, penalized just doesn't really match up. So number one, it would be, you know, really not being able to achieve what you want. And number two, things are just contradictory. They're just somehow meant to be opposing each other rather than working with each other. So these are the main two things that I find um, that you can begin to say, all right, uh, mm. let's, let's really start looking at our organizational culture. Right. Now, I, I don't know, but I have personally felt a shift in organizational culture uh, post-pandemic, um, you know, from working from home and then hybrid work. And then, you know, there just seems to be um, this revelation now that there could be more flexible uh, work arrangements. We don't all have to be in the office. And then, like, I've personally experienced that shift in organizational culture. Um, yeah. For sure. Is, is that another reason why there could be a need for a temperature check when it comes to culture? Yeah, definitely. And I think there's no language or manifesto to describe this new experience that people want to have in an organization. Like, for example, we want flexibility. Then that should be part of our organizational culture or a manifesto to describe what flexibility really means, which in other words, uh, I think Netflix has done this really well. They're like, OK, people want their freedom these days. So let's put in a cultural statement that says extreme freedom with extreme responsibility. Because what they realized was that, A, there's a lot of freedom that we want, but somehow there's no responsibility geared towards making sure that we use this freedom in a wise way. So what I really appreciate about organizations uh, that are doing it well right now, and I, I know I'm jumping a little bit, is that they are realizing that there is a new language of truth that people want to have in their workplace experience. But there are other people who are saying, okay, we give you the freedom, but we're not able to get what we want. So combine what employers want with what employees want in one single sentence, freedom with responsibility, for example, could be an extreme way for us to move forward rather than in the past, we'll just say uh, responsibility. Mm. Uh, and I don't know why we even use one words to describe our culture because that makes no sense. <laughs> but yeah, I think this manifesto or this new way of um, this new culture needs to have a language that is written down and people can see it. And yep, that's exactly what it is that we want. So, you know, if we aspire um, uh, to be like a certain organization when they've executed their cultural transformation, I, I don't know if that's the right term for it, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, you mentioned Netflix earlier. Are there other case studies or other organizations that have done it well that uh, we can share before we go into the actual steps on how to transform yeah, I'm sure there are people who disagree with what I'm trying to say over here because Netflix has a lot of controversy when 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 they talk about like, uh, you know, some people say they have great organizational culture. Some people say they have horrible organizational culture. But why I think they're awesome is because they're true to what it is that they want. 
For example, for them, there is a very high priority towards high-performing high performing teams, high-performing individuals. And they have put in a clause or a thing where uh, we want high performers, but we're also going to pay you very a lot for you to exit yourself. Um, and so the outplacement package for you making yourself redundant is very high. Mm. Um, and so a lot of people feel or there are opinions that there is extremism potentially in organizations like Netflix where performance is priority and maybe not not necessarily well-being, but it's very clear-cut performance is everything for them. But they also put in place a very, very good outplacement package for people to say, all right, I'm not fitting in with the culture. I need to exit over there. So I think uh, organizations that are brave enough to be very clear about what it is that they really want, what they don't want, and they reward it. They also help people exit when they're not being able to perform. And there are consequences as well in place. Uh, organizations that have done it best. I think these are quite extreme organizations because the rest of them, what I find is that they want two juxtaposing things. For mm. example, I want uh, I want everybody to have um, a lot of, I want high well-being, but I want extreme performance. Um, at the same time. And then in the same breath, when you decide to take leave, they'll say, no, but we want you to perform. Screw your well-being. Sorry, not allowed to use that word. But then their signaling is completely false. So just make a decision on that. I think organizations that uh, very few, because even human beings are full of contradictions, but I think organizations like Netflix, they have a very clear manifesto and they live up to that, do really, really well. But we have others like, for example, SpaceX as well. Uh, a lot of people may have a lot of comments, but they live their truth. Uh, this is what they want. Of course, when Elon Musk put in uh, an email to his employees saying that he believes that hustlers come to work, they don't work from home, and there was a huge eruption. Um, but he's moving towards a culture of entrepreneurship, and for him, entrepreneurship means everybody's engaged in the same time and same space, which is coming back to the office. That's okay, because that's what you want. You made a decision, and you're living by that truth. Um, so there are very few organizations that I think are brave enough to execute on very, very clear cut things that is that they really want. And they're OK to say, well, we're not a company that is going to focus on your well-being. That's your job. That's not ours. Uh, very few of that, I think. A lot of people want everything and they achieve very little after that or, or nothing. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are going to take a quick break for some messages. But when we come back, Hetel will take us through the seven steps to transform your organizational culture. All that and more happening on Resource Center. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. station. And we're back. You're listening to Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj. Online with me today, I have organizational psychologist and CEO of OSYC, Hetal Doshi. And we are discussing transforming your organizational culture. Now, um, Hetal, um, you know, there is... And, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but there is this hesitation when it comes to embarking on something as big as like trying to adjust or change um, your company culture. Um, you know, sometimes as businesses grow, there is a need for it. Or if, you know, you're like you said earlier before the break, if you're not hitting your goals, if like there just some something seems a bit off and you know that, you know, culture needs to be realigned, you just have to go through this process. But I think some of the... 
most of the time the hesitation is if we have to adjust culture, are we going to change the essence of what our company is? You know, um, are we going to lose our secret sauce uh, when we make these changes? So how does an organization embark on transforming um, organizational culture without losing their essence? I know you have a seven-step process, right? Right. Um, I love what you said as well uh, that, you know, whenever we want something new, it feels like there's a bit of grievance also, right? I, I want something new, therefore I have to let go of something old. And we try as much as possible to get uh, companies to realize that it is not about losing your essence, but it is about refocusing your what it is that you really, really want and utilizing your essence to be able to get there. It's almost like, um, you know, uh, for example, an athlete that is very good at football, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they already have all the skills to be a great football player. But if, for example, they want to play a different game, what we're really trying to say is utilize all of the strengths of your essence to refocus in another game, which could be, I don't know, swimming, for example, right? And there are athletes that obviously transfer their skills. The same thing with organizations is about reskilling and utilizing your skills for a new purpose. So um, and, and many companies do that all the time. In fact, all of us have been doing this since the day that we were born as well. Mm. Um, I think in terms of um, upping your culture by upping your game, that, that's kind of what we kind of focus on is, number one, what is the new game that we want to play? It's, it's very shocking, Audrey, how many companies will tell their people that we need to transform our culture, we need to transform our goals, but they don't even know what's the game that they want to play in. Right. So I'll give you an example, right, um, for SpaceX. And, and, and really, it's not just one or two companies. We've got a whole list of them. For, for SpaceX, um, even though they said, we want to revolutionize space technology with the ultimate goal of enabling people to live on other planets, not just Mars. So they're very clear that this is the game that we want to play in. Whereas if you look at a lot of companies, right, forget about the culture, like just what is the game that you want to play in is very, very unclear. I want to be the leading Delco, I want to be the leading oil and gas. That's not playing a game. That's just saying I want to be number one, but what game do you really want to play in? Um, there are other companies, like for example, um, you've got Google. And I, you know, I hate that I'm mentioning all of these typical names, but hopefully we get good at uh, talking about local talent going forward as well. Um, for Google, for example, it is to put all of the world's information or make all of the world's information accessible with one click. It's so easy to understand it. So then therefore all of your behaviors are moving in that direction. So step number one would be, what is the game that you actually want to play in? Because if we don't know our game, is the, the end of the entire story altogether. People cannot understand it as a competition that you want to win, right? Okay. Yeah. The next step would be, so number one, what is the game that you want to play in? The, the next step is, in order to achieve this, right, where are we at right now? It's almost like ways. Our brain works exactly like ways. What is the current state? What is the future state? So the, if this is where I want to be, where am I right now? And the brain is just so powerful like ways. The moment you decide where you are and where you want to be, you can have a plethora of options that will come out, but you're guaranteed to achieve the outcome that you want, at least in some point of time. So the next kind of organizations or the next step would be, uh, well, number one, what game do you want to play in? What's your current state and desired state would be number two. Number three would be all the dilemmas that you would go through in this process. So I'm going to play with you for a little bit. Mm. Um, 
All right, we're going to go from a uh, high-performing team to a high-entrepreneurial team. Yes, we've been performing with scoring our own goals, but now we want to take a lot of risks and be very entrepreneurial, meaning do businesses that we've never considered about. Like, for example, a company that has always just focused on oil and gas, but now they also want to be technology players where they're selling technologies to other oil and gas players and beyond, right? Okay, so dilemma, dilemma number one. Dilemma number one, as we transform towards this whole thing, there could be possible organizational restructuring because your, your body is going to look very different. So when there's um, possible organizational restructuring, uh, number one, I'll give you two options, Audrey. What would you do? So this is where culture is, how you're going to behave. When there's organizational restructuring, and if you are a leader, would you A, tell them, so that you're and you're very transparent with your staff in order to build trust and sense of ownership because anything can happen in organizational restructuring. Or number two, would you wait till you are sure? Because why risk losing excellent employees and upset anyone because you don't know what's going to happen? So would you choose transparency or would you choose stability? Oh, Hetel, I think you know my response is going to be transparency <laughs> because. And I, I don't know, I'm biased towards transparency in any in any scenario. And I think that, you know, if you let your employees know what they what to expect, then they can have more in, they can make more informed decisions. Right. So I, I don't know. I'm going along. Right. So in route. the past, companies would talk a little bit about, yeah, we want to, you know, people first over processes. But in this case, it's not really people first. It's about being transparent about what's going on in the entire context. And we don't know what's going to happen to the people. So in this case, the culture statement would be transparency over people or transparency over stability. But transparency of over, because it's a dilemma, is transparency over what? And there has to be a statement. So when you're going from, number one, what's the game that we're playing? Number two, current state versus desired state. Number four will be all the dilemma that you're going to have to go through Ooh. to break out of the cocoon to go there. And then what are the statements? Because behavior or anyone can behave the way that you want them to until chaos comes in and stress comes in. So I'm going to give you one more because I think this is the crunch of culture because culture is not an easy thing. It looks like magic because there are people who have trained the muscle for it. Okay, so dilemma number two, would you let your employee invest in a project that you think will fail? So this is an organization that wants their people to go from high performing individually to high entrepreneurship, which is a lot of risk that you want to take to set up new businesses apart from your core business, right? So would you let your employee invest in a project that you think will you will fail? That you personally think would fail? I would mm -hmm. want to say no, but you know, with entrepreneurs, the more skin they have in the game, the more they'll push for its success. I don't know, I'm torn. Why are your questions so difficult? <laughs> <laughs> all the dilemmas that they're going to go through, right? Yeah. So in this case, it would be, say, for example, on one hand, you want them to be risk-taking, but the, on the other hand, you want them to be uh, error prevention and mitigation of failure. So don't tell me you want both, or you tell me you want both, meaning risk-taking after, uh, sorry, risk-taking after risk mitigation. Hmm. So that would be the culture that you want. You've assessed all of the risks that you want to take and you've mitigated against all of the risks. That's the kind of behaviors that we want you to have. For example, rather than just saying, hey, I'd love you to take risks, but if anything happens, which a lot of times, when a lot of things happen, everybody's morale comes down. So it could be risk-taking with celebration of failures. I'm not 100% sure, but we have to account for the fact that 
Um, there are dichotomies. No company exists with this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do while achieving something else because there are two, there's always dualities in place. There's never just, I want this, but there's a duality that you need to balance in order to be able to achieve that as well. Um, I have one last dilemma, but the reason why I'm emphasizing so much on this is because culture cannot exist without the dilemmas that you've already pre-thought out. That will be very difficult for people to cross the bridge from the cocoon into the butterfly or rather from the current state to the desired state. So should you fire a hardworking employee that is doing very mediocre work? Well, but very hardworking, Audrey, very, very hardworking, but doing mediocre work, which I think is going on across all organizations right now. We love them. They're so hardworking, but the work is not as mediocre at best. Is there an option to reassign them? Okay, so I can give you some options. Um, yes, I would fire him or her. No, I'd rather keep him on the team because loyalty over everything else. Ooh. Oh, I don't know about firing. You know, I feel it's very um, final, but I'm going to go with one. Yeah. Yeah. So there are some companies or some people where we, you know, when we work on culture, we want to make it as real as possible. And then they say, hey, Hethel, what if we still want to have high performers, high risk taking people, entrepreneurs, but for all hardworking employees, we want to give them the best option to exit mm. because it's not going to cut out. Eventually, they're going to be in pain. We are going to be in pain, but we want to give them the we want to give them their ownership to exit. But we want to look after them as well. So it would be high performance with high exit plans. Okay. Right? I'm so okay with start, that. Sorry? <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> right. Okay. So something like that, right? So that would be the 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 fourth part of it, which would be all about the um the dilemmas and then making sure that we've carved out a culture that is based on all the dilemmas, all the bridges that we need to cross to be able to get over there as well. Um, of course, then there are other things like strategies to cascade this manifesto across the board and allow people to be angry with the new culture. Allow them to be upset, allow them to be angry. At the same time, tell them that, yes, making decisions causes a lot of anger, but we rather be angry before those situations happen and understand why we have made those decisions ahead of time. Because these are very, very difficult things. So cascading these manifestos and get anyone, everyone to be angry ahead of time. And get it out of the system. Yeah, you know, we don't like people being fired. We don't all, yes, we totally agree. But we have to go in that direction. That's our agreement. It is going to be painful. Yet at the same time, how do we protect everyone? Uh, and then the idea over here is while we are strategizing to cascade this across the entire organization, the, four, the, 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 the fifth part would be to con continuously take all this feedback and refine that culture. Uh, the last two steps are the hard ones, but very important. Create measures and constantly evaluate whether we are making those decisions. Um, and lastly, make sure that we have continuous learning uh, uh, processes, feedback processes in place to strengthen the system. Uh, the, the last part of it would be, number one, are your policies ready in place? Number two, are they part of your KPI? Number three, are you rewarding greatly? Because to live up to such cultures is very difficult. So are you rewarding greatly? And are you making it safe when it comes to consequences? Because consequences need to be there, but you want to keep safety as well. So pretty much this is how we kind of operate. Uh, we want people to have a lot of fear, a lot of passion, a lot of anger when it comes to culture uh, because, we, because this is the reality. It is very, very painful. And we want to allow that process to take place at the same time 
how do we decide in a dilemma, this is how we have pre-agreed to show up. Right. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice uh, for those undergoing uh, an organizational transformation when it comes to pushback? Um, you know, attrition, I can imagine, would be normal. Uh, but, you know, do you have any advice on how they can deal with pushback? If, is, should there be a form of feedback on this new direction that we're going towards, you know? Is there yeah. any way that they can, like, listen to, you know, what employees ha- have to say about the, the process and, you know, kind of assure them along the way as well? Any advice on yeah. that? I think that's really... Uh, a really good point because there is always going to be drama. Uh, and, and I use this word uh, loosely. Uh, the word is actually psycho- psychosocial risk. Is there's always going to be some pain when it comes to transformation. How can it not? Otherwise, everybody would, would be able to do it easily, right? Mm. So as businesses utilize pain in order to grow, we must utilize the pain of the people in order for us to grow. And what I really mean by that is that I think all organizations can think about making psychological safety the number one priority, that would be very good, which means it's okay to have any kind of argument. We just do it in a way that is safe in order for us to be brave going forward as well. Um, feedback is one of the most important things to be able to get to that stage because we don't really understand what's going on when it comes to chaos and transformation. However, I think feedback is... Um, there are many ways of doing it really well. I would recommend that we do feedback and offerings together. Meaning, don't just tell someone, here is some feedback, but here's what I can offer for you as well. Um, so that it's not just on the onus of the person to like take that feedback and do something. But whenever you give that person feedback, you also say, hey, you know, here's how I think I can make it easy for you as well. Um, so it's not, it's not just you telling the person what to do, but both of you are holding each other's hands and moving out of the cocoon together as well. The main thing that I think would be would make this very exciting because transformation can be a bit scary, but what I realize about Malaysians, they're very competitive in a good way. <laughs> the moment you give them something to look forward to and you put a scoreboard there, everybody's like, okay, I want to be the best. And that's a very Malaysian, the beautiful, the beautiful part of it. So I think making rewards to really give generous rewards for people who uh really make difficult decisions in difficult times and still hold true to their behaviors. Heavily rewarding and sharing, and I think Malaysia is not doing this very well, case studies of success and constantly promoting what it is that you really want. If a company constantly promotes the butterfly, all the good people doing all the good things, all the success stories, you're basically uh, um, lighting up a part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, which is this is what the company wants. And you're always signaling on that. This is what the company wants. This is what the company rewards. Then you begin to behave that way as well. Simple simple analogy would be when you go for a funeral, right? you would dress up accordingly, you would behave accordingly because the signals have been very clear your whole life. When you go for a party, you dress, it's the same person. You are the same person, but you would behave very differently because the signals are very clear. This is what a funeral looks like. This is what a party looks like. Same thing in organizational culture. This is what my company stands for and what they don't stand for. And it's very, very clear. It's constantly re-emphasized over and above everything else. Right. Hey, Till, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. For everyone that's listening and who'd like to get in touch with you and learn more about Osaika, please give us your website. Um, we're at www.o-psych.com. And we're also very easily available on LinkedIn. So please feel free to send us a message and we'd love to have a chat with you. 
podcast. And if you missed out on any part of the show, you can go look for the podcast on our website. That's bfm.my. You can also find all our podcasts on the BFM app that's available on the Apple App Store and on Google Play. Uh, we'll have more from Hatel, uh, possibly same time next month, if she's not too busy for us. Uh, but till then, Hatel, thank you once again. I've been speaking with organizational psychologist and CEO of OSIC, Hatel Doshi. My name is Audrey Raj, and this has been Psychology at Work on Visa Center, BFM 89.9. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.